Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, though? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I am here with the mayor of Philly, DJ Cosmic Kev. How you doing, good sir? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm not the mayor, but I'm doing great. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see... I wanted to see how you was going to react to that title that you used to really hold on to for a second. Well, you know, um, I, uh, I've been labeled that for a long time. They still label me that as now it's funny, but you know, I tell people, man, I'm just a a servant and and a supporter of, of the hip hop fashion. And I'm just blessed to be able to still be able to do what I can do. That's it. You know, that's just, I I don't go like, yeah, I'm, I'm just not that kind of dude, you know, what I do on the radio is what I do, but, you know, it's just all about being humble and just being thankful, being blessed on being able to still do it. That's pretty much it. Man, that was a pretty profound response, brother. You sure you're not AI? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I mean, let me just say it like this. Let, let, let me just say it like this. Um, I do what I do. And when I'm when I am in that zone, I'm on the radio and do do my little podcasting and do whatever I'm doing. Yeah, I'm I'm in work mode. You know, I, I don't I don't play no games with it. But I mean, just me as a person each and every day, I don't I'm not I don't want people to think that I'm non approachable. There's a difference in being confident and being cocky. Am I confident? Yes. Am I cocky? No. I'm very confident in what I do. So don't don't get that mistaken. But I don't like to i don't like people to feel like they take my performance or what i do on on the radio or podcasting a certain type of way thing i'm that way all the time like you know some people take their craft and feel like when they say they're the ish or i'm philly's number one or i'm this i'm that or i'm used to number one and they just consistently have that attitude a hundred percent of the time where people feel like they can, they're not approachable. No, I'm not. You know, when I'm not on the when I'm not on the box, you know, I'm just like you. Anybody else say I, it's a job I work, and you know, I have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and do the same thing everybody else and go to the bathroom. So that's what that is. Hopefully, you know, that doesn't. You know, I'm just being just being myself. No, nah, that's dope that you say that because through the. I, I've been in the radio for a little second and through my time seeing you and seeing you pop up on my timeline, there's always seemed to be a consistent theme of you wanting to, I mean, lack of a better term, like keep up the Philly love. Like you always, you try to monitor beefs. You always was trying to be about the culture. What was that within your upbringing where you always wanted to kind of keep that to be the link to, to not be too extreme where people can't approach you why was that so important for you coming up um because you know the funny thing is i used to look at certain people certain guys certain um i would say older entertainers even before rap or i would look at certain guys that had an upper echelon situation about what they had going on and i would see how they would act towards people and i would look at that and say yo I would never want to be that person. That's number one. Number two, in answering your question, I love my city. I love where I'm from. Um, you know, like a lot of other cities, you know, it's just, it was hard to really, really, really 
um, get the love and, and to get people to notice people from Philly. So I thought it was very, very important for me coming up. I'm like, listen, if I ever got into a situation where I can, you know, expose these artists or expose good people, that was important to me because sometimes, you know, some people feel like, and I, I never had an issue with out of town talent, you know, whether it's be from New York, LA, Atlanta, Mississippi, uh, New Mexico, whatever. I just always felt like it was important also to include where you're from in that realm of things that you, that people do. So that was important to me. And like I said, I just seen a lot of people that was in those seats that never wanted to do that. Like they just, if they were like, if you weren't, if you were from here, they would, they just would just ignore it. So it was, it was important for me to do that because once again, I had really saw the struggles of a lot of artists that was trying to get on and, you know, and I'll say, I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to be that person to say, well, uh, I ate, you know, Kev didn't try to help me. And yeah, you can't help everybody. You can't, uh, you can't be right or wrong on everything, but what the things that you do have control on doing, it is important to do that. So that's what it was for me. I just looked on a lot of, of, of people that weren't, filling that void at the time i made sure that that void got filled what was it for you that helped you or what pointed you in the direction of being a dj and you'll come up oh man might be i'm a so lengthy story but i'll try to shorten it down as much as possible so what happened was i used to um i was always into music and and when i say music um i used to play the drums um uh, for the church um my mom used to have me in church um, a trillion times a week. <laughs> my mom had me in church like literally six days a week. Uh, my mom died at an early age when I was 14. But I was always into music, meaning I would always listen to the radio, especially on the weekends. I would listen to the radio, listen to music. Always had the radio on. So my brother, we were twins, but he was the total opposite of me. Uh, rest in peace. He was the total opposite of me. He was, uh, he used to like, doing mechanic work with my dad and stuff like that but I was in the house always had a ray on now the funny thing is I never you're going to laugh at this I never had the ambition or nor I thought I was ever going to be on radio I never wanted to be on radio that's the funny thing I like I if you would have told me when I was 12 or 10 or whatever I I just like listening to the radio listening to the music that, that they were playing but I never had that intention of doing it so fast forward uh, there was a guy on up the street from me he was a, a DJ and this is you, you, I mean we're, we're not we're talking before scratching was even thought of this guy was just playing records and I would go to his house and I would hang out with him and you know Pretty much hanging with, between the make a long story short on that, between hanging with him and listening to radio and playing drums, it gave me a love for the music. Like I just I got into the DJing, but I'm just showing you the different things that segue me into the DJing part. So I always just love music, and that's how I got started. I was doing like little house parties. I was doing house parties. And then the house parties went from the house parties to the block parties. And then I was doing like the clubs and the, the halls back in the day and all that. And how I got to radio 
was um, I actually started out at college radio. Um, I was doing this station called W uh, WKDU. And then I did that. And then I did another college radio station in Lang City called WLFR. Then I left that. And then I did another station um, in Atlantic City. And then I came back to Philly. And then I got on Power 99. But I was on KDU on Power 99 at the same time. It was funny. But that's pretty much how I got introduced into what I was doing. And then I was doing mixtapes. Like, I was into the mixtape game heavy. Like, heavy. Like, some people know about that and some people don't. But that was my thing. Like, I'm talking... Mm, just to throw out the year, I was doing mixtape heavy. I was always doing mixtapes from like I would say eighty-seven. I was doing mixtapes from eighty-seven, but I from I would say eighty-seven to like eighty-nine, I stopped. Then I started back up doing mixtapes in ninety-two, like ninety-one, ninety-two. So yeah, I was I was really into. It. I did the mixtapes heavy from like ninety-two until about. Maybe two thousand and four, five, and after that, I probably I think I stopped after that. So, hopefully, I tried to shorten everything. Oh no, I, I I appreciate your humbleness, but you know, for the geek in me and for those listening, I really, if you could, could you break down because your version of mixtape, especially being from Philly, was different from what we know the mixtape has come to be. Can you okay. describe that? Because there was a difference in the skill set back there okay so i'm going to tell you this funny story so you just really said something that really 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 i want to elaborate on so you have to understand that the era that i've come from the era of i come from turntablism era they call it turntablism meaning that you had to have real skills to dj like you had to know how to mix records you know how to you know scratch cut records do all type of scratches um that was the era i was from i'm from that era now when i was doing mixtapes when i was doing my earlier mixtapes from the late 80s the early 80s to the mid 80s to the late 80s when i stopped when i started back up in 92 91 92 once again everything has shifted because in the earlier times you were based upon your mixtapes on how good you mixed scratched, how good you segue. That's what it was. When I came back into the game, that had changed. Nope. Nobody really, they was caring about it, but it wasn't at a big, it wasn't like a thing where people were like, Oh my God, I'm about to say, cause I want to hear your skills. No, it shifted back then. You know, you're talking like, before the, the 90s, that was how you was clarified. Like, they classified you as such a detail, how good you your skills were on that mixtape. So, to bring it back up, um, when I got back into the mix game in, like, 90, like 91, 92, the game had changed. So, it had changed to the point that nobody, they weren't really, they cared, but th- their focus on was what was the hot exclusive that was out. So to give you a story, what happened was that, mind you, I'm, I'm still stuck in that zone at that time on just making sure that the turntable part is more correct than anything. And I was make I was putting my tapes in stores at this point. So, you know, 
Shout out to Clue, DJ Clue Ernesto. His real name is Ernesto. I call him Clue. What happened was Clue was having a lot of mixtapes that he was putting in the stores. And his mixtapes was moving like crazy. So I'm putting my mixtape in stores. So let's just say, let's say Clue put 100 mixtapes in there. Or let's say 80 mixtapes. So let's just say if I bought down 80, if I bought down 60. So I would come back at the end of the week. If he put 80 mixtapes in there, I may come back at the end of the week. Clue may have 20 tapes left or 15 tapes left. If I put in the same amount he put in, it'd be like 40 of my tapes left. So I was just like, I wasn't understanding what was why that his tapes were moving more than mine. So I'm like, well, what, what is he, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm from the city. So I'm like, you know, I'm into this thing. Like, ah, oh, you know, we don't support our own, but that wasn't it. That, that, that totally wasn't it. And then this guy's thing was Abdul and I'll never forget it. And uh, he's an African guy. And um, one day I was venting about, while my taste wasn't moving. <laughs> and he real tall dude. So he's like, come here, I want to talk to you. So he pulled me in the back, uh, back of the, the store. And he said, look, I'm going to tell you this. You know, you're a great DJ. You, your skills are very, very nice. But he says, man, they, they don't, you got to switch it up. He said, you know, what you have to do is if you're going to, you can still keep your skill set, but you're going to have to start playing exclusive stuff on these tapes because that's why they buy clue tapes because they buy them for the exclusive i'm not telling you to change who you are i'm just telling you to adapt to what's going on because you're sitting here getting mad but it's no need you get mad you just gotta step your game or you gotta change and sometimes i'm just being honest a lot of times as djs or musicians or people are not really willing to change they want to they they want to stay the way they well, it used to be like this in my day. You gotta change. I'm not saying you have to sell out or you can't be yourself, but you have to make adjustments if you're trying to progress uh in in this game. So, you know, of course I was mad, you know, I was mad, eh, like, you know, when I left the store. But the truth be told, the whole ride home, I was mad, but I was thinking about everything he said. So what I did was I applied everything he said. I still kept the skill set, but what I did was I started getting like exclusive things from like the roots and uh, major figures and art and artists that were here. But then also I, I went and I was dry. I would go to New York. I would go to New York like every other weekend or every other week. And I started getting into those studio sessions and got a freestyle from DMX, got a free camera on it. Uh, and got a freestyle from this person and that person. So it, what happened was, it I, I used what I had, but then I added to it, and then my tape started really, really, really moving, like, like you know, really, really well. So it's just sometimes, man, you know, the difference in back then and now, the mixtapes back in the day were definitely um, being more uh, judged and looked on by how good you were as a DJ. And, DJ, if whether it's how good you scratch or for the DJs that didn't scratch, how good you made your blends, how good was your segues, how did you, what was your energy on tape? You know, it was all about the DJ. But as we went to the 90s, that changed because everybody, what they wanted was everybody wanted, uh, 
They wanted the new music. They wanted the exclusive. They didn't care about the mixing as much. They didn't, you know, unless you were getting blend tapes, they, they didn't care. So I'm just, and I'm speaking more for up, I would say up, up, up top, like New York, Philly, uh, you know, somewhere around there. Now, shout out to DJ Screw because you have DJs that were down in the, in the South or Midwest that were doing totally something different. So, you know, what they may have wanted may be totally different than what we've wanted. So I can't make a comment. I can't say, oh, every mixtape was this type of way. No, I just, I'm speaking more of from a New York, Philly, you know, possibly a DC, possibly. Like, that's what the things that we we were into. So, you know, you had to change. And like I said, the answer to finish your question, or finish your answer, I mean, your question, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just that, Back then, it was all based upon how good you were in your talent, opposed to if it's a new song. Because now it's like a mixtape is you just get a bunch of songs that you know that you may do yourself. You may say you may do ten records and just put the ten records on a on the you know on a on a CD or a mixtape, which CDs is obsolete now. So is um, cassettes, but. You know, I'm just showing you the difference. That's what they would do back then. You would get a, a different assortment of artists, and you would see how the DJ did what he did, and what like what type of energy he gave. So that's the difference than now. Now it's like you just take five, ten songs, and it can be from the same artist or a different artist, and that's the mixtape. No, you're you're right. See, I, I'm from Detroit, so what I can vouch for, I would say we held on to the turntable mixing maybe up until the early 2000s if i if i can if i can make that guess because we were even to the point where we even have a culture that was called mixed music and it was literally all about what the dj was doing to transition you right and i remember when the dj clue the professional drop and thinking to myself well how is this a dj album because it's just a bunch of you know raps because we wasn't necessarily big on exclusives but i do remember when that shift kind of changed and so when you talk about the fact that you have to know when you're in this art form, when to change, was that part of your decision-making to go from being a DJ in the streets to a DJ on the radio since you had no interest in it at all? Well, the funny thing about that is, once again, I said to you earlier, I wasn't trying to get on radio, right? I really wasn't. When I got on radio, whether it was college radio or, you know, mainstream radio, I just wanted to get on so I could just push my mixtape. That's all I cared about. I didn't, I didn't care about, uh, I wasn't trying to be an air personality. I wasn't trying to, I, w- I just was in a different, I was raw. Like I was, I was still raw. I was, or they say green or whatever you want to call it. I just cared about pumping my, I would say, and I got to send a shot to Kobe Cole because he, he was one of the guys that actually got me into commercial rates of Part 89 and, you know, and he had, he had me on from 1 a.m. to 1.30 a.m., which I didn't care. Like, And it I think it suited me perfect because I was so uh, on this, like, you know, I would, they would call me Mr. B-Side because I was so big on beast. Like, it, it just so happened the song I would like would be on the B-Side. And sometimes, you know, I will say this, sometimes the B-Side, a lot of times I won because just just like, um, dead presidents and ain't no 
you know, Igga, uh from Jay-Z. You know, everybody was, um, or can I get with that? I forgot what singer it was. But I think it was Dead Pres. I think I'm right. I think it was Dead Pres. But they were pushing Dead Presidents at the time. They were pushing that record. And when I heard Ain't No Igga, I was like, this joint hot. But they weren't pushing that. And, you know, Jay-Z and them, of course, I'm not saying I'm the cause of it, because I'm definitely not. But up New York, just like it was everywhere else, everybody was playing Ain't No Igga. And, you know, they had, you know, but that was the B-side. But that's what I'm saying. A, a lot of records, it's you know, at the time, I, I just would jump on records that, to me, that just sonically sound better. So what happened was, for his commercial radio, or for his radio period, um, I wasn't trying to get on radio. And when the guy, um, the guy Dave Allen, like I said, I was doing a 1 a.m. to 1.30 a.m. shift on Friday nights. He, at some point, he had came to me and asked me, said, look, I can, I would like to let you do a guest mixer spot once a month at eight. He says, but I'm going to tell you this. I know what you are. I know what you represent. I know you're the street guy. I know you, you like, you know, the raw stuff, the, the this and the freestyle. I know you like all that. But if you want to, if you want to do this eight o'clock and you want to do it once a month and eight to nine on a prime spot, which was Wednesday nights, he said, you got to at least play three power records in that mix. And he was like, he said, um, he said, that's all I'm asking you. Just play three power records. So I'm, I don't even know what three power, I don't, I don't even know what that, well, what's that? And then he pulled out his research and pulled out his, you know, these records. He says, listen, at least three of these records got to be played. Three. I, I'm letting you do whatever you want, but this is, this is primetime radio. So I need you to do that. And I was like, okay, like, it wasn't that big of a deal to me because I'm like, okay, if you're saying I can be myself and I can play three records that more than likely I probably would play or it's not going to hinder me. All right, cool. So, you know, I did that and boom. I, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm telling you, I was not trying, I wasn't really on it like that. I, I was just caring about my mixtapes because truth be told, I was making some money off the mixtapes, bro. I was actually... I had a job. I was working at, and that's another thing. People, these DJs now, man, they just feel like they feel entitled. No, I'm not disrespecting anybody, but some of these DJs, I'll say some of them, they feel entitled and they feel like, okay, they go get a controller and I'm a DJ and I got a playlist and I, I downstream, I'm a DJ. And they feel like they, you know, they're entitled to do all these things. And it's like, you know, we, I didn't come up like that. You know, I had to earn my stripes. I went through things and I had a job. Like I had, I had real jobs. I used to work at this place called Western Craft Paper Group. I was a corrugated box operator for like eight years. And then uh, by the time I got to Power 99, I was working at this place called Fleer's Bubblegum. Fleer's used to make baseball cards. So I used to be slinging bubblegum third shift and cutting up baseball cards, but you know, then go home in the morning and do a mix, get off at, at, at seven o'clock in the morning and go home, get some rest and get up at like 12, one o'clock and start doing mixtapes. And, but it got to a point where my mixtapes got so relevant and so popular that I, I didn't have to work at flares anymore. So I was making my living just off of mixtapes. So yeah, it's just, 
man, I for me, um, just to I got like a little brain freeze, but just for me, my thing is I made a a really really great living at doing mixtapes, and I wasn't really trying to make that transition to radio, but it just fell in my lap and it worked out. But the, the key of it is, I was still willing. I was still uh, willing to, you know, take some direction on how to do it. Like, and sometimes these guys don't want to do it. You have to be willing to take direction. That, and I, I'm not saying you got to sell out or change. Just, you know what I mean? You got to, if you're going into something, you just got to listen to people and listen to the greats that was there and, and still do it in your own way. Like, on my station, it's me, it's Diamond Cuss, it's DJ Doppy, it's DJ RL. But all of us, we all sound different. We all do things differently. How I deliver records and sell records and play records is totally different than the way Diamond Cuss. The way Diamond plays is totally different from Doc B and therefore so forth and so on. I think I answered your question, hopefully. Oh, no, you answered it. And may I say, first of all, shout out to you working 1 a.m. to 1.30, because my first shift was 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. So that overnight shift, I always salute everybody who started off like that. So shout out to you for that one. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. So, I mean, of course, you wasn't into it, but you're learning, you're taking direction. But you end up having one of the most significant shows, not just in Philly, but on the East Coast, which is the Come Up Show. So, I mean, for you you had your hand in so many moments in the culture that have created careers. How does that happen in the sense of where was that moment where you realized like, yo, I'm Cosmic Hell. Cause there's that, I feel there's that transition of, you know, you name yourself or you, you come out here in this culture, you do your thing. And then there's that moment of that aha of you recognizing your platform. When did that happen for you? You know, I don't, I, well, I got. I want to send a shout out to my former partner, QDZ. QDZ, um, we actually started to come up show together with me and him. Uh, he, Quincy Harris, he's um, he's doing other things now. He's doing podcasting himself, and he does a lot of things for the community, and he does um, a lot of things with politics. But uh, I think I'm trying to think when I when it was a threshold moment. Uh, mm, Cause it was so many. I, I don't. I don't think it was a time when I said, "Yo, you gotta come through to see me." Because even to this day, and and we know it's a little different now because you you go into and I'm, I'm not going away from the subject because I'm gonna go back to that. But you know, nowadays it's like now a lot of these artists they'll just back then they would go to they would do a twenty city tour promo tour where they would stop in each market but um you know nowadays now they 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 try to you know lessen it they'll go to like maybe two markets or or two big um uh, podcast platforms to be done with it but uh i think for the most part uh for me is i, I think I, you know what i think for me when i thought yo i i think well i know for a fact this is solidified is when kanye was came to our show. Now, mind you, when Kanye West came and did the come up show, this is Kanye West through the wire had just dropped. It wasn't like way out, like on like, like he wasn't top 10 or whatever. 
and he's still walking around with his mouth, his jaw piece, or whatever, his denture, whatever it was, and it would fall out. When he did the freestyle for us, the dentures was falling out on the on the on the on the <laughs> where the board was set. It was crazy. But I felt like at that point when he did our show and every he wasn't he wasn't the Kanye of what he became, like he what he what he really became. And to see the feedback that we were getting from him from that freestyle and to see that what people were saying, that's how I kind of it gave me a gauge on like, yeah, well we I, I think we definitely are a staple in the game at that point. But it, you know, I think that was one of the moments because we love to do it so much. It wasn't, I don't think, you know, even to this day, I don't look at it. And yeah, when I'm talking, when I talk, I'm being very aggressive, but I'm just, I look at it that it's something I love to do. And I'm, I'm thankful whether it's a small artist or a big artist that comes through the show. Yo, that's interesting, Kev, that you brought up Kanye West being a moment. Because I, honestly, I would have thought it was when I like to feel we all kind of heard about you on a mainstream level was the connection of the Meek Mill and Rick Ross. Now, this is the funny thing. Everybody would think that. But you have to understand, like the Come Up Show, the Come Up Show has been on the air First, it was Ray Wack. It wasn't my, that was Kobe Cole's show, and I was on that show. But the come up show that was actually me and QDZ show at the time was, it was um, invented in 90, I would say 96? 96. Yeah, 96. The come up show started in 1996. So you have to understand, Meek Mill, Meek Mill. And they were in the Ross thing that was 2000 and what 10? 2000, maybe nine or 10. No, 2011, somewhere around there. But my point is, you have to look at all of those moments that was created way before that. So that's why to me, it was that big of a deal. But I understand what you're saying because a lot of what the, with that, video and circulation of Ross coming into the station and I'm I'm introducing them, I'm doing this. So yeah, and then Meek blew up. So I, I get it. I understand why, you know, everybody else would think that. But I'm I'm just saying for me, the Kanye West was it was that's what it was for me at that time. You know, difference of opinion, but it's all good. Yeah, because I mean well see and I'll tell you why, because up until that point, and this is even before I got into the industry we had never necessarily seen the, the importance of the connection of the guy, the one who's in your city that connects you to a rapper and then that rapper career like blow. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? So that's why to a lot of that was watching, it was like a because I had to connect the dots. I was on radio at that time in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I saw that. And that's when you saw the power of like, oh, snap, like this is a big deal. But I was also an intern when Kanye West was going around with the metal in his mouth. So I know what you're talking about question. when he kept dropping from his mouth when he was freestyling because he did that when I was um, an intern in, in D.C. And you're right, he was holding his mouth. And I remember saying to myself, like, man, this guy really want to rap. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is wild. <laughs> so I also feel you on that side from right. the industry standpoint. So I just have to point that out. Um, you know, this, this summer, hip-hop is turning 50. 50 years old of hip-hop. And 
you and I, we both been around long enough. We remember when hip hop was at a time where they were trying to take it away. You know, it was you had to see the Lois Tuckers of the world. And I actually had a conversation with Kobe Cole about that during that era where you had the Senator Bob Doe. And I was just rewatching the Tupac doc and all those old memories came to me, even though I was in middle school. But you felt like they were going to take the culture you know, away. Now that everybody from that era is like grown or or grown plus, do you think that the elders at that time were right about their criticism of the culture? No, I think they were wrong about it at that time. But let me let me say this. If they were doing that now, they would be right. I hate to say it. Now, you would say it's a form of expression, but sometimes expressions become reality now you can say back then that was our reality too but i think for me it's that you know and i say this story all the time so i do get a little agitated sometimes when people say well rap is the cause of this and that because it's the cause of kids um killing each other or whatever now the only thing that the reason why it can be debatable and I'm going to break this down for you. So let's go back. Let, let's go back to 19. Let's go back to 88, 89, 90. And I would say, let's say up to 92. The difference back then is you had, you had a variety of music. You had your, you would have your ice cubes, but you would also have your, your, your um, public enemies. You would have your LL Cool J's. You would have your EPMDs. You would have, you think well planets you would have you would have all of these you have different types of hip-hop that you could listen to okay pe is the total opposite of ice cube or nwa total opposite but there was more of a variety that people could listen to and you know and they both are speaking of reality both of them all of those all of those artists are speaking of reality however i just feel like for me I keep saying this, man. I feel like it starts at home. For example, there is not probably any NWA album. It was only really three. But when I say in there, I mean, I'm speaking of Ice Cube, Ren. I'm speaking of uh, all of them. Like, when I say I loved NWA, I loved Ice Cube, I loved Ren, I loved Easy. Like, I love those albums. I love them to the heart, right? Also, I love back then the PE albums. I love the, I'm, I'm just going, you know, I'm showing my age, but I'm just showing you the difference of then and now. But no matter what was the message, no matter whatever message they, they brought across, positive or negative, that didn't influence me to do something that they were doing. So if I'm listening to a B is a B from, the NWA album. I'm not going to go out and call a girl a B. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to do that. You know what I mean? Because number one, I feel like my upbringing was different. My dad wasn't playing that. Like my dad, you know, and fortunately my dad was in my life where, you know, my dad ruled with an iron fist, meaning that, you know, my dad told me if you want to go out and do these things, um, I'm not, I'm telling you right now, I'm not um, giving you bail money. I'm not putting money in books. I'm not coming to see you. So I'm letting you know right now, because I didn't raise you like that. My dad raised me to go to school, get a job, go to college, whatever you want to do. You know, you can listen to the music, whatever you want to listen to, but you know right from wrong. 
So, you know, back then, you know, when Seeds Lures Tucker and all those people were like, oh, rap is this, like, no, it was, it, it, I mean, you had a, you had um, a variety of rap, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like it was just one type of rap. No, you had positive rap, you had gangster rap, you had, you had all those things. The, the difference between then and now, and the reason why if that movement for us to see the Loris Tucker movement, if it was out right now, it, they would probably be like, she's right. Because now it's, it's not a balance. We don't, we don't really have a balance in hip hop. Um, and that's how I feel like, and I, I love, like, it's just no, and, and you can say, well, we do, cause you have your J Cole's and your Cordae's and this, you do, but I don't feel like it's equal. I feel like back then it was equals an equal balance. You may have your Compton's most wanted and you may have your NWA, but you had your PEs, you had your X-Clans, you had your MC Lights, you had your local J's, you had your you know what I'm saying? It, it was just, it was more of a balance, but to like right now, I, I mean, I think back then, no, I, I totally disagree with her because I mean, Hey, I think even when she was really going at Pac it's you know, Pac that he's speaking his reality, but once again, it did not, I, I didn't care how many, how many times I heard Pac say what he wanted to say. It didn't make me want to act like Pac, but I think with, where that plays it, I think, as a community, I think, you know, I think the parents have to be a lot more responsible and have to step in because, you know, I'm looking at the news the other night, uh, this kid in Philadelphia, he's um, 15 years old and he was out in front of a Wawa and he got shot at 2.30 in the morning. Well, at 15 years old, I was not out on a weeknight in front of a Wawa at two at 2.30 in the morning. Like, and we're still, this School is still going on, by the way, but I wasn't out at no two thirty in the morning. Like, why? I'm looking at it. Why is this kid outside at two thirty in the morning? What? Like, why? Meaning that the parents, we have it has to start with the parents. And I don't want to get off of this subject, but I'm just saying to to reel it back in. Okay, if this was if Cedar Lil Tucker was doing this now she would have a lot of ground to stand on because of these things that are happening now okay back then you had that type of music but you know we weren't having the shootings and and and, and everything that we have now but it started with the parents like now you can't if if my kid was doing something wrong you know my kids is grown but if my kid was doing something wrong and let's say they at the store and they stealing candy or they do you know I, if, if my neighbor or somebody knew a respectable or responsible parent say, hey, don't do that, or come to me and say, hey, I seen your son or your daughter stealing candy, I would want them to tell me that. But now we live in a society now that, bottom line, if um, if 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 I see your son doing something and I know you, and I say, hey, man, your son was in uh, was in Walmart. Still, don't be saying nothing to my son. You know, get the F out of my face. Like, that's the society we in. So my point is, back to when she did what she did, I felt like it was, no, she didn't. I felt like a lot of those people didn't understand rap music. Like, you don't you don't understand it. It's just like any other uh, new form of music. When a new form of music comes in, if we don't know it or don't understand it and don't like it, we're so quick to ridicule it or just say it's, it's not the right type of music. But like I guess say on the flip side of that, she would 
if this was right now, she would look like the king because, you know, we don't have a balance in music. And it's like, you know, you know, I got to praise and take my hat off the little dirt. I like that new record he has called All My Life. I, I just, I just, I mean, he's trying to make a change, you know. And I'm not saying that you can't, you know, you can't, a person comes from what they come from, you know, it is what it is. But everybody at some point in time, you have to change. It's the same thing I said about, you know, conforming to radio and stuff like that. I was, I was, I was still myself, but I knew how to conform. So just to, I know I'm a little long and whatever, but just for us to, to think, I think back then she, she, I think she was wrong then because there was a balance in music and people were speaking their reality. And you know what I mean? And people may say, well, people speak their reality now. But sometimes, man, some of these people just do it because they think it's the end thing to do, you know. And that's how I feel about that. So I'm going to be quiet. Give you the floor. No, you, I, I agree with you. I think we are become a culture where people are kind of jumping on waves now. So it's kind of hard to think about who's speaking about their reality versus who's just doing what they think works. And it's becoming more difficult. Like Chris Rock had that joke. When you love hip hop, you got to defend it. And the older I get, it's become a little bit harder to defend as much as it was back in the era that you were just pointing out. Um, also, when you think about hip hop turning 50, now I got to ask you this because I got a lot of DJ friends and some of them even, you know, hit me up to say, to ask this to you. Um, shout out to my man, DJ Academics, the one who's actually on the radio at DC. You know, with the technology that we have now, you came up in an era where you had to learn how to mix on real records, like real actual vinyl. Do you think that that form is still needed with the tech that we have today? Because now a kid can just go online and put the DJ behind in front of their name, as we know. So you think learning is necessary on vinyl for the craft part is still necessary? I think any DJ, if you call yourself a DJ, you should know the fundamentals of DJing. Now, when I say fundamentals, you're probably thinking I'm just speaking on a, a, a term of how good you can blend, how good you can scratch, how good um, you can segue. No, when I say you should learn, a real DJ should know different eras of hip hop and should know where it came from in, in, in the art form. I'm not saying you should know every grandmaster flash record i'm not that i don't want people to think i'm eight i'm not saying that but it's just certain things you should know as a good dj like you should know that michael jackson had a couple of good classic big records and you should know how to be able to segue into that because a real dj can pretty much play for anybody like you know what i'm saying and my thing is and this is just me you know you know, as what you just said, you got these guys that just go buy controllers and put DJ in front of them. I'm a DJ, and they play a bunch of drops, and they don't know the music. They only know the music that they know right now. But that hinders you as a DJ because you can't. You can only DJ. You know, if you want to get more gigs, or not even just get more gigs, you just want to be knowledgeable of the craft. You have to do the homework. You know what I mean? Like you. I'm pretty sure, you know, any good boxer, not only that he know how to box, but he knows the history of it. He knows a Muhammad Ali, a Mike Tyson. You know what I mean? He, he I'm just using these guys as an example. You know, so you know, Rocky Marciano. You, you gotta know. You, like, you have to 
know somewhat of the history. I ain't saying you have to know them personally. Like, you're supposed to know every era, but as a good DJ, it's not, you just don't just pick up a controller and just say, I'm a DJ. Like, all right, well, you know, you got a different, different types of people that's in the party. You got to satisfy everybody. So I think they need to learn that. I mean, I'm not basing it upon how good you can cut, how good you can scratch or how good you can sell a record. It's just about segues and crowd reaction and reading a crowd, you know, because some DJs just play for themselves. They just want to play for themselves what they like. No, like, you need to know that. Well, you know, such, 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 such. That, to me, that's important, but that's just me. I mean, you know, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm I'm hating on a younger DJ. I'm just saying, like, you know, I have, a, I have two sons, and they DJ, you know, on the side, and you know, I've told, I've, it's been times I told my other son, like, yo, if you trying to do this, you need to know other stuff, and he does, but it's just you know, that's just my thought. I don't think to answer your question, no. Just saying, you know, hey, I'm a, I get a controller and say I'm a DJ. Well, do you know, like, if I put you, if you got put in a party, do you and you got a mixture of crowd of twenty one year olds and you got forty year olds? How do you keep them? How do you keep for those genres happy? How do you know when to keep them both happy? Those things, those things are important, but. You know, so I mean, DJ don't care. So I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm leading to. Do you think the technology is kind of hurting the craft? Because, you know, now, from my understanding, the Dorado stems can make any record sound with the acapella. I mean, I see it on my timeline on Instagram all the time. Versus in the area that you were coming up, you had to go find that record that was an instrumental or it was a straight acapella. Okay, so I'm going to say this. And this is a, this could be agree to disagree. You, the question you're asking, do I think that is it making it like pretty much making the DJ lazy, not making the DJ accountable for trying to really find that record, whatever. This is my point. I think Serato is probably one of the greatest art forms. I mean, technology that's ever been made. Um, people forgot there was a thing before that. What was the name of that? Was it Final? Was it Final Scratch? Yeah, there was a an operating system called. I think it was Final Scratch. I think it was. And what happened was they they didn't master it as good as Serato. It was it it, it was like a delay. I remember getting the software. It was just terrible. It wasn't it and. But when Serato came out, they all of the, the 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 glitches and everything that Final Scratch tried to do, they just mastered it. But it's a convenience. Um, it helps out a lot because this is what I'm gonna say. Okay, I I know what you're saying. You know, back then it made you had to go find the record or look for it or buy it or whatever the case is. But it's a convenience because. My thing of it is, hey, for Final Scratch, let's say if you do know all of the knowledge and channels of being a real DJ and you do know about the different genres of music and what, how, you know, how this DJ thing started and just having your knowledge, the, the reason why is a convenience that you don't, you know, if you had these crates of records, how would I used to do have crates and crates of records? Let's say the records gets 
scratched or gets broken or warped or whatever, you know, then you would have to try to find it, you know, and the record stores don't have it. And it, it kind of, I don't think it takes away. I think I get what you're asking. I just think it's like a 50-50 debate because I feel like it helps. It, I would say it helps and hurts. But if you're a person of character and principle, I think it helps. Like, I feel like for you, it would it helps because you know the knowledge. You've been down. You know what I mean? You've been through this. So, you know, hey, if you, if you got the special version of Michael Jackson that you may have had on vinyl, but you know the likelihood of you finding that vinyl is probably next to none. If you already have it in your hard drive, you know, you, you always have it. You got to worry about it being damaged, especially if you back up your drives and all that. So that's the help, but the hinder is now you got the DJs that, you know, they don't, they don't, you know, they they don't care about that part, you know. So I I I just think it's a, I think it's a help and hurt at the same time. If if I'm not, you know, I don't want to offend you. I'm just saying that's how I feel. I just feel like it's a help and a hurt. You know, what I mean, it's like okay, it's helping you because you got the knowledge and you know what to do. But it's it's hurting the other DJ because he's like, oh, you know, I I got it and I can get it and, and he doesn't care about it. He doesn't care how he got it. He doesn't care where it came from. He doesn't care who produced it. And the funny thing is, there is an artist right now. I'm gonna say tag on to this. There's an artist right now that has this record in Philly, and the record's kind of moving. I don't want to put the person's name out there. I don't want to like exploit or anything like that. But the record's kind of moving, right? It's moving. It's a young record. It's moving. But they can't get the record clear because where where uh, where they sampled from. Now, they sampled the record from an artist, right? That the artist sampled the record from an older artist. But they don't know. It's funny we're, we're talking about this. The A&R doesn't know where the original sample came from. So by that art, by the A&R or by that producer sampling from an, a rap artist that already sampled it from an older artist, they don't know, and now they held the record up. So it, it kind of gets to your point where if you don't know the fundamentals of stuff, like they could have alluded that whole problem if the, if, the, if the producer knew that record where the record came from, he wouldn't even have to sample it from the rap artist, he could have went to the actual artist that the rap artist got the sample from and got it clear. But now that artist, the rap artist doesn't want to clear the record because they sample it from his rap song. But his rap song sampled it from another art. Like, you, you see what I'm saying? So it kind of like, yeah, it, 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 it helps and hurts because had you would have known your history, because when they asked, I was like, that's not such and such song. That's that sample came from the such and such group in the 70s. You could have just went and asked them for it. And but by them sampling it from the rapper, because they sample it off of his master and it comes across that way, they got he's not okay in it now. So that's the help and hinder. Like you you got you gotta know that you gotta. If you call yourself a DJ or producer, you kind of got to know what's going on. You got to kind of know, you know what I mean, your history. Because when you when you talk to those older producers, like your Timberlands and your Swiss Beats and those type of producers, 
they be knowing about where the song, like they know where the songs come from. You know what I'm saying? So you, it goes back to what you're saying about the DJ part. Man, it's just, you gotta, I think it's hurting DJs and it's, it's, it's helping DJs like it's something for me, but it's hurting DJs that they just feel like I'll just grab it and I'm a DJ and I don't, I don't care about nothing else. But that's, that's my answer. No, thank you for that. Cause that was for my DJs who hollered at me about that. And they want to know from your perspective, cause you know, a lot of them look to you cause you've been in this game for a second. I only got a few more and I want to stay on that technology. Take your time. When you, yeah. When, when you, when you think about that, when it comes to the technology helping or hurting, I gotta ask you about this AI thing, because I think the other day I was watching Antonio on his show play many men with Biggie and Pop rapping the song Mini Men. Biggie was on the hook and Pac was doing the verse. And yeah, to you and I, I'm listening to that. It's a robot, hands down. But with what AI is doing now, it's it got artists that were gone long ago rapping about today or something like that. So in that case, when it comes to technology, how are you feeling about that? Um, I'm going to tell you, I don't I don't pay attention enough. I don't be paying those type of things attention like that. And I'm not, that's not a, that's not a diss. That's not a, I just don't be paying attention to those things. I know about what you're talking about, but to some people, they like it because it gives the song a new twist. To some people, they feel like it's disrespectful. I don't really have a, I, I, the reason why I don't have a an answer for that because I don't like I don't be paying attention to those remixes. I just don't like. I don't, but that's not to say it's a good or bad thing. I, I'm just saying for me, I don't. I know people are talking about it, but the one thing about me is I'm gonna be honest with you. I'd be so intrigued. I'd be so focused on what I'm doing that I don't pay anything anything else in mind for example let's just say if we had an opposing station in our market i don't be paying attention to what that other station is doing and that's not that's not a diss because i'm so focused on making sure that i'm doing the right thing that i don't even give it that type of attention so that's not saying that i'm better than that person or not or not as good as that person, I just be so focused on what I'm doing. Like I'm focused on my craft and uh, how how my stuff is coming out. So it's not like that AI. Like I'm I've been hearing about it, but I'm I just ain't been paying any no attention. I, but I've been hearing about it. like yeah, they did it. I'm like, I mean, so I guess to some people it may feel like. It gives it a new twist and they like it. And some people feel like, you know, it's a disrespect. I I, I don't be I don't be on them joints. I just don't be honest with you. I'm just being totally honest. I don't like to comment on stuff that I'm not involved with or I don't know everything about. Like, you know how some people did somebody will put up a post about something and then somebody will jump in and be like, yeah, I just don't. I I really, really, really jump on people's pages and it's something that's controversy. If I don't know a hundred percent facts behind it, I really even comment. I just rather not say anything. Like I'm just not saying nothing. Like 
No. <laughs> that's just how I am. No, that's dope. And I'm glad that you went that direction because I kind of go on to what I was going to ask you next because historically, I remember seeing an interview with you on The Breakfast Club and, and other interviews before where you kind of was really good at being able to regulate the internal beef of rappers in Philly, you know, the major figures in the state property. And you was, you know, really good at that, you know, because you knew the value of your platform. But now we're in an environment where, like you just said a few minutes ago, anybody could cut on the program and everybody has a platform now. Do you still feel that if you are going to do that, there's still a responsibility, though, that you can carry? Because you've been around the block to actually see the outcome and how it can actually happen. How it can go from a small freestyle of yuns and it can turn into something bigger if you don't necessarily step in. Do you still see the value of that though now in the culture? I'm going to say something that's going to be probably like, you may be surprised. It, the rap culture now is so bad with the, with the dissing. Like, you have to understand Back to and Dissing has always been around forever. Like let's it, it didn't just start like two years ago. It didn't start with Meek and Drake. It started like since rap. It's always been competitive. It's always been somebody saying something about somebody. But let me just say this. So it's to a point now. If you're bringing me a record or sending me a record and you're dissing somebody, I'm just not going to play it. And I'm speaking mainly in my city. I'm not playing that. I'm just not. I'm just, I don't care. I'm just not going to play it because now it's really a reality. Okay. When you look at 100 miles and running and you look at no Vaseline, nobody got killed. Nobody, uh, Nothing happened. I mean, they might have fought at the new music seminar or whatever, but you know, nobody died from that beef. You know, you go to the older beefs, nobody dies from the beefs. Now, when you come up and you see Biggie and Pop, yes, I, I think those were kind of like the start of beefs going to the all the way to the left, but. Nobody, I mean, up until that point, nobody was really dying like over, like LL was dissing Ice Cube. Ice Cube wasn't dying. LL wasn't dying. Ice Cube, I mean, LL dissed a lot of people, but he, it was, it was competitive, but it wasn't, it didn't get to the point that people were dying. So now when you playing, when you did nowadays, you playing somebody, they just, they, somebody's getting killed. It's different. It, no, for me, um, to kind of go back to your to your, your your original question for is that I never wanted to see nobody in my city um, die or get into a situation like what like it, you could be competitive but when you start taking to the point where guns is being drawn and uh, nah I you know I'm talking about competitive to me is how good you can rap and. Y'all just saying words and it's that, that. But now you can't, you can't, we're not even in that time anymore. You can't even do that. You can't, like, you can't play somebody just record because it's going to go somewhere else. Somebody gets shot. So for me, how I was able to do that back then 
is different now. Now I'm not even like don't even think like I'm not playing it. I don't care. And I'm I'm not saying I was playing it then. My point is I never was playing Philly on Philly Beast. I was never into that. I was never into that. And I don't know if you've seen the the interview in the Breakfast Club. They the only there was a, a beef between major figures and state property that I didn't even know was a beef. I had no knowledge, didn't know anything. One of the state property, no, no well, Young Guns came up, they was freestyling, and they started dissing major figures. I don't know they was coming there to that. I thought they was coming to rap, like regular rap, because they because No Better Love was out. They going at them, then major figures is calling up. Yo, you gotta let us come back up because if I didn't let them come and do they freestyle, then it'll look like I'm playing sides, and then they got a problem with me. And you know, they came up, said they thing later, and you know, it went left. But it that was never, I never, never at one time, like I've never, people, anybody that knows me personally or professionally, I never advocated. Philly on Philly beats. Never have, never will. I never been into that. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get into that. I don't. That's not my thing. I, you know what I mean? I'm about life. I ain't about um, people losing lives. I've never been in that. I just like good music, and I like people that can do what they do. So I was able to avoid. That was the only thing that probably was even close to what you're asking, but. You know, there were crews that were that were coming up that me and QDZ, we diffused beasts. We would bring them together. I remember there's these guys called this guy called Reed Dollars and Joey Jahad, real big underground artists here. They were huge. And they whole crews was beefing and me, QDZ, and Gilly at the time, we got them all together and well got them two together and had them come on our show and diffused it. Like we diffused and they rapped together and all that. So yeah, you know, for you asked me, was it hard or how I did it? I just never was for that. I'm, I mean, I'm just, it's like, I ain't into that. Like, you know, you got some people, you got shock jocks, and you got people that do things just to get clickbait or get attention. And I tell people all the time, you don't have to, for you to be great, you don't have to be controversial. People, other people think different. I don't believe in that. I don't have to, if like, if I know, let's just say, if I know, they after you for child support and I'm interviewing you. I'm, I know that you know that the world knows that. Why do I gotta ask you in the interview? Yo, so you still ducking your baby mom? I don't need to ask you that because we already know what that situation is. But some people will take that moment just to get clickbait. You can do other things to get clickbait. If I'm asking somebody some, it's something that's not going to offend them. I don't want the artist to not feel comfortable of them coming to sit down with me where. I done pissed them off. Now they never going to come back. But you can ask questions where the artist is comfortable that, hey, they'll ask a question and you'll still get that clickbait. You'll still get the good content that you want without offending the artist. But people don't know how to do that. They feel like nowadays that you have to do something like like you said. Oh, so I'm going to just have two guys beefing on my show because I know. No, I don't need to do that. I never, never did that. I never been into that. Like, Anybody knows me, but you know, you have a lot of people, man, that that's how they feel. But how I avoid it, I just don't even entertain it at all. I don't.
I don't entertain it. Um, nah, you you be like I always I so this in this bag because nowadays these artists, these young artists are coming. The first thing I gotta ask them before we even start the video, I gotta ask them, are you do you have any ops? Are you beefing with anybody? I need to know. Like I need to know that. And in the history of me working, I've never had to do that. But you know, nowadays I gotta ask these questions because you know, they got a situation going on. I don't want them coming on my platform and they doing a freestyle and they dissing the ops and I don't know about it and they, they opt, yo, you let Paul come on show this you, this me. You got to let me come back or you going to let me, are you going to let me do that or you, you want some bull, you know. I, I, ain't, I ain't got time for that, man. Uh, you know what I mean? But I've avoided those things because, you know, I just, you know, I don't stand for that. I ain't never been into that. I don't, I don't believe in that. Like, I don't. I mean, competition is competition to end this this part. Competition is competition, but when you turn it into a reality, it's something different. Like, you know what I mean? That, that's, that's something different. Yeah, thank you for that, because I was actually going to ask you, how was someone's freestyle? And I was just about to say, like, do you have a conversation with them first and everything? And now that I know you do that, that makes perfect sense, you know? Um, but tell me, in an era now where it seems like skills kind of can matter and sometimes they don't sometimes artists make more melodic type of music why is the art of freestyling still so important to you the reason why it's important to me because i feel like you just and you just kind of answered it with the different types of music out now i just feel like we get away from the art form i feel like we get away like and there's nothing wrong with being different because I, I love all type of hip hop music. I love melodic stuff. I, like to me, one of the one of the greatest guys that's ever done it to me, Drake. And I'm I say this to say because he's melodic, but he also really knows how to rap. Like, and I feel like when it's time for when it's that time when Drake has to step up and rap, he raps. You know, does he make more melodic music than rap? Yes. Do the one day I wish he would just, you know, do one day I wish he would just make, uh, I would call it a B side. He would just do a whole rap album and just go, I mean, over some hard beats. I would love to hear that. Is will it happen? Probably not, because, you know, I all I used to always say that about Eminem. I used to be like, yo, I would love. For Eminem to, um, I would love for Eminem just to do a all like rap, cause the freestyles that I've heard Eminem do, it's like yo, you know. And I'm speaking of back then, I'm like yo, this guy is this guy's this guy is like he's nuts, like he's nuts, and he would never do that. He would always do his, you know, his joints that he would do. And I understand, I get it. It's marketing and you have an audience for that. But I always wish that, you know, that type of, you know, those artists would do that. And I'm saying for it's Drake, like Drake, he really can rap. Like is you can't argue that. Like all got bars. But you know, I understand it's a business and you know, probably he probably that'll never probably happen. He probably won't do it all. Like just nothing but just spitting with no harmonies, with just you know nothing. And 
back to Eminem. I remember when Eminem rapped over the Mob Deep joint, and I mean, he was murdering. He was, mur- I was like, yo, he did it on Stretch and Bobbito's show, and I was like, yo, this guy is really, and I just be wanting to hear a whole, like a whole album like that. Like, just, just give me that one, and I'm happy. But they don't do that. So, I mean, I just think for us back to the freestyle, the answer to that, I just feel like we, we don't, because a lot of these artists now, they don't freestyle, or they can't. Like, they can't freestyle, because, and you know, some people may say, oh, you sounding old. It's not that. It's back to what I said. If you call yourself a rapper, you should know the art form. You should know, like, and I ain't saying you should have a thousand raps written down or memorized, but at some point, if I'm a rapper, I, I want to know how to rap, and I'm going to do a freestyle. I'll do a few freestyles to show that I can rap, but I will also do my melodic music, and I will also do the hit records that I would do. You know, that's, that's me. That's just how I see it. And I think that's important because, you know, we don't, those are our moments. Those are defined moments. When somebody, you know, when somebody makes a hit record and they can rap, it's like, damn, it's the same thing with Drake. People are like, yo, Drake makes, uh, he, he can make a, a melodic record, but then he can come out with a record that he's really rapping. You're like, oh my God, did you hear what he just said? So it's the same thing. It's a shock value. That's what I'd be looking for. But that's, I think it's important because it, it shows that you really care about the culture and, and, you know, and you really can rap. So that was that. So I think I, I think I answered your question. That's what's up. Oh, no, you did. And, you know, my, my final question, and I'm glad that you left it on that, is because you have such a love for the culture, what would you like to see hip hop? What direction would you like to see it going in the next 50 years? Like, for example, what would you like to see more of and what would you like to see less of? Um, I would like to see more versatility. And I want to say this. Just because, just because that you're talking, um, I would say positive rap, or you're talking, uh, you're not talking the norm, I guess, the gangster rap word is going to label it. Just because that doesn't mean it don't have to, it, it, that we should accept it. It still has to be good and it has to be delivered in a form that, it, that is acceptable. Because people will say, well, I don't rap this way, but they, they think you're supposed to accept it and it's not good. No, it still has to be good. You know, if you and I, I use Public Enemy for example. Public Enemy was talking about black empowerment and all that back then, but the way they did it was acceptable. So you have the person that is able to do that, or the persons that's able to do it and commercialize it and make it to where people really want to check in for it. Which and you have those people already. You have your J. Coles and people of that nature. But I'm just saying, like, I just think we need a, a lot more versatility. But I think the uh, the creative side, the production side, has to step up towards that. I would like to see that. I would like to see more versatility. Um, I like to see the guys come back because the girls is killing it. <laughs> I like to see the guy rappers come back because the girls is killing it right now. But just take it a little bit more serious and not because everything now is they just they're just trying to get the bag. They don't. I don't feel like you care about the culture, so I 
They care about the streams. That's all they care about. And, I, and you should. You should care about that because you got to pay your bills, but also you got to care about Dark Phone. Much love. I'm done. Definitely appreciate part. your time, DJ Cosmic Kev. <laughs> Definitely appreciate your time. Thank you very anything much. I definitely want. appreciate you coming you on here. It was an honor. Nah. Yeah, anything? Nah, okay. man, that was good. That's that's good. what I got. No, no, no. Everything everything is everything. I appreciate you coming on. You know, thank you very much. Is there anything that you like to promote that people be aware of when it comes to you? Nah, really just come on show live, come on show. Uh, check my page out, DJ Cosmic Kev podcast. Come on. I'm on Power 99 in Philly. I'm on there seven days a week. Seven. I've been on there seven days a week for probably the past, I'd say, 10 years. Before that, I was on six days a week. Now I'm on seven. Times Monday through Thursday, 7 p.m. to midnight. Friday, the come up show, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Saturday, strict show Saturday on 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And then Sunday, I do a throwback show from what's called uh, Sunday School from 7 to 9. And yeah, that's it. I mean, just working and doing things. And I also, um, the one last thing I do want to I want to discuss, I just feel like um, to the DJ family and to uh, the DJ family, um, I just really hope that the DJs really realize that, you know, don't get caught up in the hype of just depending on radio and don't get caught up on the hype of just being part of something. You got to think individually with your mind. And I was talking about this on the breakfast club. I, I, I just see so many guys that, you know, that has been, that have been in the game and um, when they be radio, or if they get let go, they don't have nothing else going on, or they don't, they don't, uh, I'm trying to think of the word how to use this. They just, they feel like, you know, people owe them. And I, like for me, I feel like what I hate, and I really want to elaborate, what I really don't, what I despise, hate is a really strong word. I despise when you got these guys that they're on Instagram. And they got the chains and the watches and the, the Bentleys and the Benzes and all that. And when they die, the first thing I hate is a GoFundMe. Like, I can't stand it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I think we have to be smarter as a culture that, you know, you, you got to, man, you I don't care what you buy. You need to have life insurance. I don't, if I die, I don't want nobody doing a GoFundMe for me. I don't, I don't want that. I want to be able to put myself in the ground. I don't want to leave that burden onto my family that they have to figure out how I'm getting in the ground or I can't get in the ground and they have to, they have to uh, cremate me. I don't want that. And I feel like, a lot of DJs get so caught up in the into the bling bling and this and that. And if you if you go on my page, you won't see my home, you won't see my cars, you won't see anything. You will see what I'm doing as what I'm doing for me as a business person, as a DJ. Like I'm constantly that's what it's for. And I'm not saying that, you know, 
I don't have those things because I live a comfortable life. I ain't saying I live like Diddy, but I live okay. Like, I live all right. But at the same time, how am I going to go on Instagram and promote all of these things that I got this and that? And then when I die, I got to get do a GoFundMe page to put me in the ground. And I was always, I respect all DJ crews. I do. I never was a part of one because I used to say this and everybody wondered why I never was a part of a DJ crew. I said, because this is the thing. You're part of a DJ crew. And, and, and I'm not, I hope I'm not offending you or anybody else, but I just, this is something I want you to think about. If you're part of a DJ crew, let's say you're the, the big guy on the stage. You, you're doing things. You got things going on. And let's just say that day comes. And, you know, fortunately, I was able, I, I, fortunately, I've been on the radio 35, on commercial radio for about 35 years now, approaching 35 years. And fortunately, I'm able I was able to do that because a lot of people get fired or let go or replaced. So fortunately, you know, thank God, Allah, um, for that, that I was able to do that. You know I mean? I'm blessed that way. But let's just say if, because it, it happens and it can't happen, let's just say program director comes in, hey, I got to let you go. Boom. Okay. You're part of these crews and are, the, are these crews going to pay your mortgage for the next six months? Are these crews gonna pay for your dental? Are these crews gonna pay for um, your life insurance if something happens to you? So you gotta kinda, I'm not saying don't be a part of them, but be very smart on what you're doing and worry and, and focus on what's the betterment for yourself because I like I, I watch these things and I just be like, you know, it's, it's guys that I don't wanna put their names out there, but there's guys that I've watched that's been in the game for a lot of years. And like, they're still, they're running around still having to DJ clubs. And I don't want to be 60 years old, 65 years old, DJing at a club. I don't want to do that. I, I, I just don't want to do that. I mean, meaning that if I do that, it's because I want to do it. But I don't have to do it. And I mean, I'm not saying you got to have DJ Khaled's money. I'm saying just when you're in these seats or in these positions, it's very important for you to know that what life is about. And a lot of these guys be like, oh, I want to be a part of this this crew, that crew. But like I said, when those light, when that, if that program director comes in and say, hey, that's it. Well, what's the next move? Are they going to take care of that mortgage? Are they, are you going to, you're, you're fighting for this crew, but are you going to, is your mortgage getting paid? Um, your dental, your help, you got health benefits. If something happens to you, can they pay for the entire funeral? You know, the average going rate of a funeral now is anywhere between, I would say 25 to 35,000 COVID and drew numbers up. So you already know, but a lot of these guys don't look at that. And I just think, as a culture, the one thing I would like to change for all DJs, think about outside of radio or outside of the clubs, because once again, you know, bro, like once, once that light gets shut off, then what? Okay. You have, you invested in anything? Do you have insurance? Do you, you have life insurance? Life insurance, bro, is you can get life insurance and it's probably term is cheap. 
But if you don't have money to get a whole life, you get a life term, a term policy for twenty five dollars. And you know, what I mean, at least if something happened to you, you don't leave that burden on your family. Like you know, what I mean, and, and you know, of course, the policy has to mature. But if something happens to you, you can at least have enough money to put yourself in the ground, you some decent funeral, and maybe a couple of dollars for your family, something. But we don't, we don't look at those things. We look at you know, like I said, I, I I see it all the time, and I just be like, you, you, you be, I'm like, you, you gotta be kidding me, you know. And it's not just DJs; you got rappers do the same thing that you know they die and they don't even have money to get burnt. It's like, but you was just on Instagram with a with a hundred thousand dollar roadie, or supposed to be a hundred thousand dollar roadie, or a two hundred dollar a two hundred hundred dollar chain, or or you got this car. Like, bro, that's the problem with us. Our problem is we're so worried about people seeing what we have, and especially us as Afro-American people. We are so worried about showing that we have it. Like, no, I would like that to change, because guess what? You know, and I'm pretty sure it's a thousand times. You don't see Warren Buffett or, or, or what's the guy named that did Microsoft. I mean, you don't see those guys showing off their money. And I'm not saying that you can't have a proud threshold moment when you accomplish something. So I don't want people to look at it like, oh, you sounding old, like an old ass hater, excuse the expression. But I'm being real about it. Like everything is not for everybody. It's not. Like, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to do that. I got this. Why do you feel that it's your responsibility to show that, you know, show all of your royalties why why do you think that it's your responsibility to show that you know what i mean and it's like no nah, like i said i ain't i'm not saying i'm rich i, I live i live okay i live comfortable but i'm not i my morals are in a different place and i feel like us as a culture as you know as dj as even you know as people of color like we got to start thinking a little outside of the box because it's like you i can't if i came in here right now and I'm putting up all this stuff and I got all this stuff on and this and that. And if I die tomorrow, you see me with a GoFundMe, you're not going to tell me, you're going to be like, wait a minute, this guy was just on this podcast and he just put up a Roly or put up a Bentley and he got a, he, he got a GoFundMe. You're going to, you're going to be like, wait a minute. It, when fraud goes wrong, that's what it is. And it's like, it's the priorities is just not there. And it's just like, yo, we got to, we have to do better. And I, I was really speaking to my DJs because it's I know a lot of DJs that you know I mean I don't want I don't definitely put nobody's name out there, but it's like I just like yo, I'm like I don't I'm gonna be trying to do a thousand clubs. I ain't doing that. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Where you have to do I just feel like when you're that age, if you're doing clubs. It's a novelty that you want to do it if you want to do it. Not that you have to do it to pay the mortgage. Now you got to do it you got to pay the rent. Now you got to do it because you got to put food in the house. Not when you're not at that age. I'm not speaking of the young DJs. Because when you're young, you go through tribulations and trials and you figure it out. But when you're in the ages that when you start being 40 and up, you got to start thinking different. You shouldn't be sitting there worrying about, all right, I want somebody to make sure that I got to make sure that they see that I got this. No. Because you got to Put your mind into other things and do other things with your money. Think, think about things that's more important. Because, like I said, I I despise fish fries and I despise 
GoFundMe's, especially when you're in, for those who are in the position that they don't have to do that. I don't, I don't want people taking it like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking for the people that if, if you're sitting there right now and you're, you're earning a living of $100,000, or $80,000, or $200,000, there's no reason why when you die that you should have a GoFundMe account. There's no reason, there's no excuse for that. There is none because you were sitting in that chair having that type of money. So it's like, you mean it's something out of $200,000 you may have, $100,000, you couldn't take at least $5,000 of that a year and put on, and really less than that, but let's say $5,000 and get yourself life insurance. You can't do that. It's $5,000. If you're making $200,000, the problem is you're making $200,000, $150,000, you're making $100,000 and you're living a $300,000 life. No, think a little bit smarter than that. But a lot of us, we just don't, man. We just, we're so, you know, we're so big on, we have to, we have to let you see it. And, I, and I'm telling you, you go on my page, you don't see none of that. I, I'm not, I don't have to prove to you how I'm living. Like, why do I feel like I got to prove that to you? And I will say this last thing. Now, the only time that applies for you showing how you live if you're living like a DJ Khaled, a Puff Daddy, or somebody like that, I get it because you're selling, you're selling your albums, your lifestyle, whatever. But but on the flip side of that, they can afford to show their houses and their yachts and how big their house is and all that, because the likelihood of you pulling up to their house, you're not pulling up to their house. You got to go, I forgot the name of where they live at, but it's in Miami. It's an island off of, like, it's, you got to cross this bridge, and then you got this security fortress there, and you got to get through them before you can even get into their development or whatever you call it. But my point is, they have those, they have that type of money where they can, they're, they can pay for a high-end security you're just not walking up to the house, knocking on the door and ask for a cup of sugar. It's not happening like that. So if you're if if you have those type of means of money, if you have millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, if that's how if you want to do that, you can afford to do that because you can afford the security that comes with that. But I'm talking about somebody that doesn't have that type of security. It's like, bro, you can't be talking about all this money you got and all this that and the third, you doing this, and somebody can just pull up to your house and knock on the door, hey, what's up? I'm here for dinner. Like, nah. You gotta be in a gated community, something super gated, super, you know what I mean? If that's what you're gonna do. So it's two sides to that, but I'm speaking to people that don't have those type of resources that these these um, millionaire and billionaires have. You're never gonna walk up to Jay-Z. You're not, it's not gonna happen. The likelihood of you walking up to Jay-Z's house, like, you you probably got a cold chance of hell doing that before you go to his crib. But people need to understand that. And I, I would like to see that change because we really, you know, we we really feel like, oh, you know what? I got this new watch. I got this new chain. I got this new song, this new car. Let me throw this up on the gram. It, I know what comes with that. You have to know what comes with that. And expectations come with that as well because you can't tell me you got a a Bentley and your electric getting cut off. Like your electric's getting cut off. What, what are you talking about? Like, but you have people that are in these situations. You just gotta think outside the box. And I just think as a people, as a culture, we have to think 
a little bit more smarter. And, and, and if I was a manager, I would, if I had ours and I don't, so let's start there. First thing I would tell them, no, what you're going to do is you're going to take out life insurance policy. You're going to take out all this for you getting, forget the chain. No, this is what you need to have because my thing of it is I, we're losing our youth at alarming rates and it's a shame while well, you've, you sitting on this thing and you putting up all this stuff that you have, but you don't have life, you don't have life insurance. Like how? And I've been having me personally, I've been having life insurance, man, since I've been, I think, 22. And I should have had it before that, but I've had the same policy since I've been 22. Cause my dad was like, yo, I don't get what you do, have life insurance. Cause you don't. You think you're young, nothing can't happen to you, anything happens to you. And you don't want to leave that burden on your loved ones, your family, or your girl, or your significant other to figure out how they can get you in the ground. You don't want you don't want to do that. So I talked about that on the Breakfast Club and I'm being serious. Like I despise that. Like I just look at you like, are you stupid? Like, what's wrong with you? So that's it. I know it's a little long. Sorry. <laughs> nope. That was the perfect way to end it. I appreciate you. Thank you for giving that knowledge because we need that in the culture. And now that we're getting older, we definitely need that. So thank you very much. Yo, my blackness has been elevated. Cosmic Kev, you have elevated the blackness of the show. I don't even know if I elevated your blackness. I usually say that on the other hand. But please allow me to open the door that just because you're on this episode now, please feel free to always, 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 always come back. Make sure also you catch the History Being Black podcast everywhere where you listen to podcasts. Go to Mino Lion on IG. Make sure you go to History of Being Black podcast on IG also, too. You can follow me on all social medias at Jayhaw Society. This has been a dope episode. Be blessed with successful. Talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O-Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production.